Hi, this is Debbie Q, and you're listening to The Right Shoe. The Right Shoe is a podcast about the strange and unusual. It can be found on Stitcher, iTunes. I am getting together a website, which will be therightshoe.org. Not .com, but .org. And eventually I'd like to have all of my subjects listed with pictures and everything because it's hard for me to, you know, separate everything onto Twitter and here and there when I could have my own website and have it all together for you guys. That would be perfect. I love doing these podcasts because I love true crime and I love like strange and unusual things like with Matthew Larson, how he passed away still is a mystery to me. That's the first one. Doing the one about my friend Tina Severins just made me so happy that I could finally get that out for her because I never saw anything done. I mean, there's a few things online, but there there was never like a show or anything like that. And I, I just wanted something out there for her. And also, I'm going to have a little special guest today. Uh, she's not here, so the way I'm going to do it is a little odd. I'm going to, I don't know how it's going to sound, but I, my sister Vicky, she, when she listened to Tina, the Tina Severance episode, number two, she noticed that I had made a, not an error, but when I said she was, you know, he, Albert Artemari said she had to die and he like, and then he threw her out of the car. Now, my sister said that she, he beat her so bad that she, when he pushed her out of the car, she actually fell into a puddle of water and she drowned because I guess she couldn't move, but I'm going to get her to say it. Let me see if we can get Vicky on the phone. So I managed to get Vicky on the phone, and she's with us now, and I'm going to ask her two questions because they were not in the original Tina Severin's episode two story, and I wanted to make sure that it had as much information as possible. Now, what happened when you said he threw her out of the car? Yes. He threw her into a ditch behind a 7-Eleven, I think in Croydon. I'm pretty sure it was on Bristol Pike. And he he threw her in the ditch, and there was only about a half inch of water in the ditch. But he had beat her so badly that she couldn't move, and she drowned in that half inch of water oh my god i i wonder if she like felt like i wonder if she tried to move her head you know what i mean like that's so awful yeah i can't imagine like i wonder if she was like i just i don't know i just think of her and i hope that she didn't know at that point what was going on i just pray that when your brain shuts off like that it just she didn't know and then also she was found this is what I didn't have at all how was she found in the uh with it you said how she was found the next morning by the girl there was a girl that was I, I can't remember if she was walking her dog or if she was just walking by but she was debating on whether to smoke a cigarette or not, and she decided to have one. When she bent down to light her cigarette, that's when she noticed Tina laying in the ditch. Oh, man. And then she called the police? Yeah, she called 911, and they came out 
to Bridge and Pratt, which was huge. It was, it was frustrating. You know, you'd sit there and wait, and I guess I would get tired. And one day, this guy pulled up to me in a cop car, a marked police car. He was fully in the uniform. I mean, my my second podcast was about my friend Tina, who had been killed by a guy claiming to be a police officer, and he wasn't. So right off the bat, even though he was a marked car and everything, I should have just ran the other way. Unfortunately, like I said, I was 18 at the time. I was fearless and not thinking. And this guy says, do you want to ride? Um, what's going on? You know, and I thought, oh, here's a cop, you know, seriousness, whatever. And I said, I, I'm late for work and the bus is late. So he said, do you want to ride? And I said, yes. Because it was a marked car, I guess I felt safer. But what happened was absolutely bizarre. It's absolutely the truth. And I absolutely can't believe it happened. And again, one of scary mysteries I heard this on, it was, I, I heard that the Frankfurt Slasher, I'd never heard of him before. And I was like, wow, that's when all of this came back to me. I, I was on, um, in this guy's car, in the marked patrol car. And he was, he went right, he was going towards the hospital where I worked. And it was a very busy section of Olney. And he was, it was at Broad Nolly, the hospital. Now we parked out in front and I thought he was just going to drop me off. But when he stopped the car, the car was locked. And I noticed that nowadays there were, you know, back then it was an up and down button located on right where the window sill would be to the car. I'm sure people remember older cars where the knob is up and down, up and down, not the side panel knob. That's not even knob now. The openers to the door. And it, it was all changed because it was so easy to break into a car that had the typical up and down knob. Well, it was one of those, but there was no knob there. There was nothing there. So when he locked the car, I was locked in and there was a bunch of people out. And I was like, if this guy doesn't let me out of this car, I do remember thinking, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to pound on these windows until everybody sees me. Nobody was paying attention. It made what happened next even more horrific. He proceeded to unzip his pants. There's no other way to code this. I, I'm not going to use more stupid words. He, he took out his penis and he started to jerk off, plain and simple, right in front of me, right there at Broad Nolly, as I'm sitting, waiting to go to work, horrified that I ever got into the car with this guy. I don't know what I said, but I know he was doing his thing and he said, do you like this? And I was like, no, I don't. I remember saying that. And then he said, do you want me to let you out of the car? And I said, yes. So he let me out of the car. So my story, yes, is short. Nonetheless, it's still horrific. And he could have just peeled off and took me to God knows where. When I got into work, I remember running to my boss. And I always used to get lunch for us. And she was flipping out. She wanted to call the cops. And I said, but he was the cops. And she said, well, Deb, I, you know, let's, you know, I, she wanted to call the police. I, I swore to secrecy. I was just so mortified that I got into a car with somebody, even though it was a marked police car. I, I mean, a Philly car, I swear, I, I think I would have had no problems. I don't. It was a state trooper, which is odd because they usually didn't come down into the neighborhoods. They usually stayed up on 95. 
it's very rare to see a Pennsylvania patrol car. And even now, it's rare to see one in a neighborhood. So she was like, you're never allowed out at lunch again and all this stuff. But when I think back, God, I mean, I don't think that was the Frankfurt Slasher because he was young. And I, I don't know. I didn't see him get out of the car. He didn't have a noticeable limp. But it is a little freaky. The next incident that happened, now this was a little bit comical, I guess, because, I don't know, this guy wasn't as frightening, and I think he just wanted my number, actually. He was a SEPTA driver, and he was funny. His name was Andre. He was a middle-aged black guy. He seemed very nice. He drove us every day. Like, you got to know, you got very familiar with your SEPTA drivers. And we were driving one day, and this guy kept saying, he kept pulling on the string, saying, Allen Grove, driver, Allen Grove. And Andre said, I heard you the first time. Now, to this day, me and my sister still say that if somebody says something twice or three times. Say, I heard you the first time. And that's a direct quote from this guy from a million years ago. But when we got to the L, when we got to Bridge and Pratt, which was my drop-off point, he locked the door and he kept asking me for my number. He he wasn't saying it in a threatening manner. He he wasn't a ski. He, that guy in the, the, the cop or whatever he was, he was skeevy from the beginning. Even when I got inside, there was something about him that was weird and off, but I, I don't know. I, I, it was quick, like I said, and I was young and at the time fearless. So I, I just know that the black guy, Andre, I was just like, what are you doing? You know, like, can you let me off the bus? But, you know, it's a big step, the bus, and we're in the middle of a million other buses. I'm still surprised, but he, you know, he didn't trap me in there or, or anything. He just kind of locked the door and said, you know, why don't you give me your number? And, and it was weird. I didn't really do anything. He just closed the bus and locked it. It wasn't for a long period of time, and he didn't do anything scary or nothing like the other guy did. So it was a little bit different in that situation. I, I, I think he was just kind of fooling around. He seemed very cheerful and laughy, and there was nothing that I felt threatened by, honest to God. I can say that seriously and truthfully. The other thing with the cop car scared me because not only was he supposed to be a cop, but he did that in front of me, you know, which is disgusting. I don't get it. I don't. Maybe his name was Chris. I really wish I would have went with Teresa and we would have called the police. Because if he was a state trooper, oh my God, that's even more the reason I should have called. Again, it was youthful dumbness. And I had to start that story off there because I was in and around that time. These things were happening. And I thought back to that guy. I thought back to both of them, but more so to the guy in the cop car because the composite sketch of the Frankfurt Slasher was a middle-aged white guy and he had a noticeable limp, they say. But that's weird. Very weird. Still makes me think. So anyway, getting to the Frankfurt Slasher. This is what I literally spent so much time going over and over and over. And it's been brutal. I love doing it. I just don't know why it's taking me this long to get, you know, it's taken me a long time. Uh, the research was hard because number one, okay, let me get to, I will say it in distinct order of how I have it and how it went. In August 19th of 1985, 
Helen Patton was the first victim of the Frankfurt Slasher. She was found on August 26, of 1985 and it was in a train yard by a bunch of SEPTA workers which is the South e Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority which is what the working bus of Philadelphia um, she had lived in Parkland Bucks County and she lived with her husband but they had been separated but they lived out of convenience so when police first found her and went to interview people and they found out she had stayed she patronized this bar called the Golden Bar or Goldie's as it was called um they were surprised that she lived in Bucks County they thought she was a Philadelphia person uh she was naked from the waist down legs spread open genitals exposed blouse was pulled off to show off her breast and she had been cut there was a severe cut from breast to abdomen that showed the, her inner intestine, which I have read and agree with was very Jack the Ripper style. Um, I think when men do this or serial killers, anyone, they leave people in a position like this to like humiliate their victims out of anger. So this person had a lot of anger in them by nature. There was something that angered him about women, obviously for him to do this to them. It, uh, again, I, before I go to the next victim, I want to say that a lot of my, if you ever wanted to look through this or look and read about the Frankfurt Slasher, I, at the end of this, I will tell you where the best detailed information that is accurate. Okay, number two was Anna Carroll. She was found at the 1400 block of Rittner Street, which is in South Philly. Now that's seven or eight miles from where Goldie's was, but she was also a patron of Goldie's and that would come out as they were going through the interviews that they didn't think so much, even though her death was in South Philly, it fit with the Frankfurt Slasher. She had been stabbed six times and the last time the kitchen knife actually was still in her back, naked from the waist down. And again, one of the cut wounds was from the breast to the, her, the bottom and it was showing her intestines. So that's just, it was a serial killing in the making. The next was Susan Olseff. She was found on Christmas day, 1986 in her apartment on Richmond street. She was also stabbed six times, legs spread. It looks like they tried to, the, it appeared as if the killer tried to eviscerate her. And she was also somebody who patronized Goldie's and it was on Christmas day. So this guy obviously had issues. Can you imagine on Christmas day? I mean, they, when they went over these girls, they said they were either people of the streets or soft prostitutes, which I guess would include Susan Olseft, even though she was an older woman. I feel that they meant that if a man like, you know, they weren't like all walking the streets, but if there was, if the opportunity arose, and the person had money, they would do something for the money, but just casually. That's what I think they mean when they say soft prostitute. Uh, and they, every one of the girls had some sort of mental issue, which will go, this all comes together and the person they arrested for it. That's why I, I am pretty sure he was not the Frankfurt Slasher. There was an, a, another victim that was in January 29th, 1987. 
Her name was Catherine Jones, but they never put her officially with the other women because she was found in the Northern Liberty section. She worked on Frankfurt Avenue as a waitress, but she was bludgeoned. Like her jaw was broken. Her head was smashed in. Maybe the Frankfurt Slasher was just getting started and something had startled him, but she was not maimed in any of the ways that the other women were. So they think her murder, even though it's still unsolved, they, they don't put her in with the Frankfurt Slasher. And it does seem like she wasn't a part of that. Only because he didn't... This guy had an M.O. Seemed like he was in a frenzy. And as other serial killers, he had to repeat the same one, two, three step to get that sense of satisfaction. This woman had none of that. He had none of the, none of the slashing. She wasn't stabbed. So I do agree that I don't think Catherine Jones was a part of it. January of 1987, Jean Durkin, she was the youngest one yet. She was only 28 years old. She had been stabbed 74 times, and she had, according to different articles, was either found under a truck or under a fruit and vegetable stand. Either way, she had been mutilated. Um, left with, She had been sexually assaulted, or left with her pants down, and she had a huge gaping wound that was very significant of the Frankfurt Slasher from breastbone to the middle section. I think that she was stabbed the most because she was the toughest and the strongest. He had not gotten to women this young yet. So obviously she gave him the most fight. 74 times is a lot of times. And again, she was always like sleeping in doorways, um, Originally, they thought she might have been killed by a woman named Michelle Martin, who they fought over a blanket the night before her death. They had even looked into that initially, but it was slowly coming together that there was a serial killer at large. However, this is when the Frankfurt Slashers, this is when they stopped looking at him and he stopped being so prevalent in the newspaper because something major happened. In March of 1987, Joseph Josefina Rivera, Rivera, she had escaped a dirty, filthy basement, and she ran to the police station and was telling the police all about somebody who had captured her and had many other victims in the basement with her. That man was Gary Heidnick. So Gary Heidnick came and wiped off the Frankfurt Slasher right off the map. Nobody was talking about the Frankfurt Slasher suddenly, except maybe those people in that small area. He became worldwide. He actually became in one of in the famous movie, Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill, who was the killer that she is searching and she gets Hannibal Lecter's help in searching for him. One of the people that Buffalo Bill was modeled after was Gary Heidnick uh, in his typical trademark fringe jacket, the way he walked around, the minister. Um... So then this guy, Harrison Marty Graham, he came into play. He had killed six women. This was found after he was kicked out of his apartment because it stunk so bad. There were so many complaints. But when they went in to check out the apartment, they found six dead women. So Harrison Marty Graham, he originally was tried, convicted, got the death sentence. But they found that he was crazy, mentally crazy. So he was put into a mental institution where he resides to this day. He's still alive as of 2020. And I've looked everywhere. It still says he's alive. Where 
that you know, Gary Heineken and killed in 1999. It's crazy because <laughs> his picture, Harrison Marty Graham's picture, often gets inserted to where the guy who gets picked up as the Frankfurt Slasher initially, their pictures are always interchanged. It's bizarre. I'll get to that in a second. The next victim was Margaret Vaughn. November 11, 1988, she was found on 4900 block of Penn Street. She was 66 years old and she was stabbed 29 times. She had been eviscerated as well from breastbone to abdomen. You know, the stab wounds were intense. The only thing that was a little bit different was they finally had a composite sketch together with eyewitnesses saying that she was seen with a middle-aged white man who had like beady eyes, glasses, a round face, and a noticeable limp. Um, he was who they, that was who they said that was with, they became more and more frequent that they were saying they had seen all these victims with this guy, this middle-aged white guy. So he was a minister. The cops had trailed him and it's, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So we'll, we'll go to the next victim, Teresa Scarantino. She was killed on January 19th, 1989, three blocks from where Margaret Bond had been found. Naked from the waist down, she was assaulted with a three-foot piece of wood. The struggle was intense. There was blood everywhere. She had apparently been known to, to take in a lot of men and host a lot of visitors, her neighbor said. So when they heard all this noise, they thought they was just some sort of domestic fight. And especially in Philadelphia, people do tend to shy away from domestic battles because what happens is when the person getting beat calls and whoever comes to their aid, they usually wind up getting yelled at or just, it, it always does not work out well. So people definitely shy away from domestic battles. And I think this is what they thought it was. So they never called the police when they heard all this noise. But yet they found her and it was a shame because she was dead. I mean, and just the same way as everybody else had been. The next victim was Carol Dowd. She had been stabbed 36 times and they had found her behind this Newman Seafood Market. One of the workers there was named Leonard Christopher. Now, Leonard Christopher was ultimately tried and convicted for Carol Dowd's murder. He spent the rest of his life in jail. He always proclaimed, proclaimed his innocence. I feel that he got railroaded. Not only that, but even in death, his picture is never correct. They have one picture that they use interchangeably for Harrison Marty Graham and Leonard Christopher. It drives me nuts. I have studied both pictures intensely. Harrison Marty Graham has a very smirky face. He was crazy. I mean, and it was well known that this guy, you know, his marbles weren't there. He wasn't like smart and all this. Like Gary Heidnick had like $500,000 saved. I mean, he was a, the, the accountant that worked with him said he really was a smart guy. This guy was just crazy, this Harrison, Marty Graham. But the thing is, they always put his picture where Leonard Christopher is. And the only picture I have, two pictures I found of Leonard Christopher, one was on the CBS News on YouTube. They have, when they're going through the, the that the Frankfurt Slasher was never found, 
that seems to be the new thing. Nobody even mentions Leonard Christopher anymore, or they say it as in he was wrongfully convicted, but they, they have a, his mugshot in there, Leonard Christopher's true mugshot, and he looks utterly confused. Harrison Marty Graham has a very smirky look on his face. The picture of Leonard Christopher that they have on most of these sites is of Harrison Marty Graham with that smirky face, so beware when you're looking at the pictures because the, the Leonard Christopher one, it's kind of hard to find a real picture of him. I did see also the one where he's at trial and he had these horn-rimmed glasses on. He just looked like the studious guy, but that's not what I'm basing his innocence on. There are several reasons I think he's in, he was innocent and got railroaded. And one of them is because when he was arrested and in jail for Carol Dale's murder, Michelle Martin, the one who originally had been thought of to possibly be the killer of Jean Durkin because of the blanket that they were fighting over, she was killed in the Frankfurt Slasher modem. She was stabbed multiple times, pants down. She was called Crazy Michelle. She was always in the neighborhood selling pretzels or whatnot, and they found her. I think it was on Ornette Street, too, but she was stabbed breast to midsection, and this is while Leonard Christopher was in jail. So we have eight victims, nine if you want to say Catherine Jones, which I tend to not put her in because the MO just doesn't fit. If it was, I you know, I'm not sure. I can't say for sure, but anyway, so the reason Leonard Christopher got convicted was the day, the morning that he came, I think he was seen going in the back, but he said he had saw this police commotion. I guess they had found her body. Now, two prostitutes gave statements saying that they saw him run around with Carol Dowd, and the other prostitute said that she saw him sweating with a knife in his waistband. Leonard Christopher said he always carried a knife in his waistband because he was the fish cutter. That's what he did all day. It is a little bizarre that, you know, these girls were eviscerated and Leonard Christopher carried around a knife. But they said he was this mild-mannered guy and there was nothing that was around to, there was no, it was all circumstantial evidence that they had on him. He did say he was with his girlfriend the night before when Carol Dale was killed. And then his girlfriend said he wasn't with me. So that's suspicious. Yes. Again, circumstantial. And maybe he was scared. Maybe he thought, oh my God, I don't have an alibi. They're going to think it was definitely me. Then when they went to court, his boss, uh, Jesse Fang, it's spelled J-A-E-S-E. She was his boss. She said he just came up to her one day and said, maybe I did kill her, and then made a slashing noise or a slashing motion with his hands. Now, I don't know why somebody would do that, but, you know, when I think back, I mean, could everyone been caught up in this sensation and just, oh, yeah, it was him, it was him, it was him, because there was just no evidence that it was him. Not only that, but the police had zeroed in on a middle-aged white man that they've never named to this day with a limp. They had got his DNA and everything, but when he figured out that they were on to him, he moved and then he died. So the police did get his DNA at which they, in 2019, CBS News reported that they were testing it. They never came out and said whether it was positive or negative. 
And I asked the homicide detective, why wouldn't they say anything? And he said, because if it didn't match, they're not going to come out and say, hey, this guy, this, um, this wasn't a match. If it was positive, they were they're going to say, oh my God, we did. We found the Frankfurt Slasher. But there could be several reasons for that. They might have, it, back then, the collection process was different. And if it was old or degraded or not kept well, you might get a, a half of a, you might not get like the full DNA markers for that particular person. And if you only have half of them, it's, it, it doesn't, you know, it could only disclude a certain amount of people. DNA is very tricky. It's, it's a it's definite science and you have to have certain markers present to say, yes, this is definitely the person, or no, it's definitely not, or yes, I can rule them out. It's not as easy as people think, although it's definitely a lot better than it used to be. Leonard Christopher, I, he, they must have, even though he was arrested a long time ago, they never mentioned his DNA, but the Innocence Project was on Channel 10 Action News, and her name was, her name was Marissa Bluestein. And she worked to clear Leonard Christopher's name. And she said she definitely doesn't think it was him. He was upset till the end of his days because he says, not only am I in here, and he did, he died, I think around 2015 of cancer. So he died in jail. And they, he said that Carol Dale never, her killer was never caught. None of the other ladies' killer was caught. The Frankfurt Slasher was never caught. So they never got justice. And I completely agree. I do not think Leonard Christopher was the Frankfurt Slasher. To have a mild-mannered man who was, you know, all of a sudden to just kill somebody. And on top of that, the theory that I have is all the women had mental issues, the ones that were killed, some of them worse than others. Uh, one of the issues I remember... The uh, Margaret Vaughn, I neglected to say this when I was going through her death, she, her, her brother had actually been killed in the 1960s, and she started hearing voices after that. She was a diagnosed schizophrenic, paranoid schizophrenic. She had been doing better towards the end of her days. That's just an example. These women had serious problems. And it's a shame. I think this guy, this minister that they called him, they, that again, they never named because I guess they never got enough evidence on him. And then he left the, he left the state after he figured out they were chasing him. He would have been, he probably came up to these women filled with hope, like, oh, I'm a minister, you know, let me help you. And gave them a source of, they all seemed so down on their luck. They were getting kicked out of apartments or they were sleeping on the streets already or they were separated from their husbands. This guy was giving them hope. He was giving them light in, in such darkness. So that is definitely fits a serial killer because it would go along with this frenzied attack. He gets these women. He's probably getting excited as he's telling them, Oh, you know, I'll help you. I'll help you. And then he kills them. And then he goes into these frantic rages with, you know, slicing their stomachs open and doing everything like positioning them all the same way. This Leonard Christopher don't see the women taking to him as well because he was just a guy who worked in a fish store unless he was, you know, unless they were prostitutes and he was either their friend or taking up their services, for lack of a better word. I just think that 
he got railroaded because, again, they said he was so mild-mannered. And a big point, especially in Philadelphia, and any Philadelphian can tell you this, when you're in this city and you're in these small neighborhoods, everybody in that neighborhood knows who you you are with. Everyone knows who you talk with, hang with. When I was younger and my boyfriend's last name was Brady, everyone called us the Brady Bunch. It's just a perfect example. Everyone would have known that Leonard Christo was hanging out with these women and they would have said, yeah, that's the Frankfurt Slasher. He was with every one of them because believe me, everybody would have saw and that is the truth. Don't let anyone tell you different. In Philadelphia, everybody knows who you're hanging with. You are literally an example of who you are hanging with how do they put that saying you are you are what you eat you are who you hang with that is so philadelphian they would have known just like they knew that this middle-aged white guy with glasses and a limp was the one that was seen with all these girls they just didn't know who he was because he kept a mild profile he he hid he was smart he was a serial killer and then this frankfurt slasher you know this um Leonard Christopher gets caught. He was probably in his glory. Oh, woo-hoo. Except he did one more. He did Michelle Martin slash Denim. I've seen her listed as two different last names. It's just amazing to me that I guess, like the woman from the Innocence Project said, he, they were calming down a very upset community and closing the book on a case. Um, after Michelle... And after that, the guy that they had, the DNA for the minister, after they, they said he moved away, the killings did stop. I, If the killings had stopped as soon as Leonard Christopher went to jail, it would look very suspicious. But the fact that the cops had this guy with the limp and it matched the composite sketch, they had all seen them with a middle-aged white guy with a round face, glasses, who looked nothing like Leonard Christopher at all. And Leonard Christopher didn't have a limp. And he just didn't seem, when you re go through the court transcripts and everything, it just seems like they just wanted to get it over with. They pro the cops probably talked to these witnesses and said, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, when they want something done, they can get it done. And I think that just how they say, on all the CBS affiliates now, the Frankfurt Slasher was never caught. If you go on YouTube, it comes up many times now. They don't even mention Leonard Christopher in some of the cases. Channel 10 does. And also, there's a great book that I found called The Mammoth Book of Killers at Large by a Nigel Cawthorn. He has a nice little informative piece about the Frankfurt Slasher as well as others. The book is actually very good. If you want to read that, I think it's on Kindle and it is very good. My research came from mostly that, Channel 10, and a variety of internet, little internet blurbs. Some of it, when it's old, it was no good because the material was old. I think that's why it took me so long because I kept reading so many different things about the Frankfurt Slasher that I wanted to get everything correct and I haven't been too great with doing it every week. I'm going to try for every two weeks because I want it to be as perfect as possible. I want to get my website up and I will find my next unsolved mystery for you as soon as I can. Debbie Q with the right shoe.